you want to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we'll be in verse 14 through verse 26. It's entitled this message, Be His Friend. The idea of friends is a unique idea, especially when it comes to Scripture and talking about the friend of God. It is a very unique idea, and actually only one person is directly called the friend of God in all of Scripture, and it's only referenced three times. Well, that is Abraham. Abraham is called the friend of God. And we like friends. At least, I hope you like friends. And, and we, we look for friends. I remember one of the things that was always frustrating every couple of years growing up was that for like a year or so of your life, you were transplanted into a new area. And sometimes transplanted into a new area every Sunday. It's really hard to have good friends when you're at a different church every single Sunday. I mean, you have your siblings, but, you know, they were all sisters, you know. And so this, this idea of friendship is something that we, we all yearn for. We want friends. And Scripture tells us, I believe, how you and I can be a friend of God. And actually, the, the cool thing about all this is that as we pursue this friendship with God, the natural outcome of all this should be that our pursuit of friendship with God should mean that we have deeper, better, more satisfying friendships with the people that are around us. Because friendship with God, love of God, should naturally lead to friendship with the people around you, and a greater love for them. And I believe that as we look at this passage, as we look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through verse 26, you will see that the big idea is that God's friends trust him and demonstrate it through works. Another way that you could say this is that faith works. Faith doesn't just simply sit there as a lump on a log, doing nothing. Rather, faith will demonstrate itself through actions. And you, you hopefully picked up on that in a number of the songs. Faith of our fathers, we will be true to you till death. And in that song, there's multiple references to doing something. The ancient words that we sung about at the end... We ask God to speak those words to us, and they're supposed to lead to what? Action. Faith always works. It doesn't just simply sit there. It leads to action that is demonstrating, that is accompanying, that is pointing to the fact that there is genuine, real faith. If you would, let's read James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. We'll read through to verse 26. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead 
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is truthful and that it speaks to us still today, and that it calls upon us to live in faith and demonstrate it by our works. We pray that as we encounter your word, once again, as we read through what is a very familiar text, and as we think on it, that you would help us to examine our lives, to look at areas in our own lives and our various relationships that we have and ask ourselves, what works are you desiring me to demonstrate in these relationships to more effectively point to the faith that I profess in your son? Pray that as we do so, that we would be convicted and that we would have a desire to go out this week and make a difference and demonstrate our faith through your work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. An act of faith is dead. That's really what he starts with in verses 14 through 17. He, he begins and he asks this question, What does it profit, my brother? And if someone says he has faith but does not have works, you'll notice he returns to that question at the end of verse 16. What does it profit? You know, if you're, if you're like me, there have at least been times in your life where you have kept useless items laying around your house. Don't look at Bethany. Uh, she's, prob <laughs> she's probably thinking, yes, that is very true. Okay. Um, when, I, when I turned 13, my parents decided to have a card shower, and they, they wrote to many of our supporters, and they were just trying to make my day special, and they asked for uh, random people, some of them that I didn't even know, to send me a card um, just saying happy birthday on my 13th birthday. It was a very sweet thing to do, right? And I had a shoebox of cards that I kept in my closet from when I was 13 till almost when I was 19. And then I was getting ready to leave Ghana. And, you know, you only have so many suitcases to put on the plane. It's like, you didn't make the cut. Otherwise, I might still have a box of birthday cards for my 13th birthday, right? We keep useless things. And what James is doing, he's trying to say, hey, is your life being profitable? 
Or is your life not accomplishing anything? You profess faith in Jesus Christ. You profess that you were a sinner, that you were condemned, that you were headed for hell. That there is no way for you to earn God's righteousness on your own account. That God in his great mercy sent his only begotten son into the world. He came, he lived a perfect life. Then he went to the cross, he died for your sins. Earning you righteousness so that God could look upon you and be pleased and allow you into heaven. You claim this faith. And yet, does your life demonstrate this faith? Because what James is saying is, if your faith isn't active, if it's not doing anything, it's dead. It's useless. It's like that pile of birthday cards from my 13th birthday that sat in my closet, and every time I had to clean my room, I'd open up my closet, and I'm like, wow, that's still there. Okay, what purpose did they serve? Not much, right? The other thing that I had up in there in that box was a, a art project that I had made when I was in fourth or fifth grade. And it was a impressionistic modern art piece and it had aluminum foil. And it would actually conduct electricity. This is really cool, people. You could put a battery on that thing with a light bulb and light it up. But what purpose did it serve? None. It sat in the closet. It wasn't even pretty impressionistic art on my wall. It was useless. And he's saying, if you claim the name of Christ, but your life doesn't demonstrate it, it's useless. It's dead. It has no profit. Let's look at the text. He begins and he questions, uses questions to establish his thesis. It's interesting. James does this numerous times. You saw this all through chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, right? He doesn't just come out and tell you what he's thinking, right? He just asks questions. He's like really making you engage your mind with him, right? He continuously asks questions. So he asks you, what is a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And if, you, if you've read a lot of Paul's works, what, what does Paul continuously say? Paul continuously says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of not of works. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And yet, James's point here is that faith without works is dead. He's not telling you that your works will save you. Rather, he's saying your works demonstrate that your faith is living and is well and is accomplishing what God intended to accomplish. So he introduces this topic. He still hasn't really told us what he wants to tell us. He's just using questions. He's using illustrations to get us to that point. Then he introduces this idea. Useless faith will fail to voluntarily attend to needs. Once again, I don't think this is the primary illustration or the primary application, the only application of this truth. It's just simply a illustration of this truth. Much like in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, he says, Don't show any partiality. Now the point isn't don't, just don't show partiality to the rich. The idea is don't show 
any partiality towards any group. Don't show partiality. Here the idea is your faith should work. Should work in this illustration of how we care for those who are in need. But it's broader than that. How do you live as a husband? Are you pursuing as a husband to love your wife well? Are you pursuing as an employee to serve your employer well in such a way that people look at your service at your company and they say, something is different about you? Why? Are you living as an obedient child, submitting to your parents' instruction in such a way that it causes others who look upon you, other adults, other children, to say, what is different? He gives an illustration here. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, the idea, I, I, I do believe the idea is, it's obvious that this person is in need. I don't think that the illustration primarily is that this person who is in need has come in and has told you, I am in need, would you give me food? Would you give me shelter? Would you care for this need? The idea is you simply see the person that's like, oh wow, there's, there's need there. And the response of this person that he's illustrating that has faith without works, he says, this person looks at this person and they say a prayer for them. And their, their prayer is actually written as commands. Go in peace. Be warned and be filled. And yet you do not give them that which is needful for the body. What does it profit? That is the idea. You're, you're commanding them in a form of a prayer to go and be cared for. And yet you don't care for their needs. And he says, that is useless faith. Active faith sees a need and chooses to voluntarily participate in caring for the need. Active faith is looking for opportunities to serve, to apply the truth of your faith. It's looking for opportunities to work out your salvation. Our faith then must demonstrate itself by adding profit, by accomplishing something. This is a basic business principle, right? Doritos, I guarantee you, knows what the profit line is for uh, their Cool Ranch Doritos, right? They do. They know how much money they're going to make this year on average from Cool Ranch Doritos. And they know how much money they're going to make from Spicy Doritos. But they probably... And you know that they do this. They even know how much, what the best ratio is, for how they package many bags in a big multi-pack, don't they? They know which sells and which doesn't. So when you go and you buy like a big box of chips, what happens? Your favorite kind may not be in that big box. Why? Because you're weird. 
Most people don't like those. Enough for them to make enough money selling that pipe in a big multi-pack box. We love you, but you're weird. Okay? So that's how life is. And he's asking us to examine our life and say, what profits, what good is coming out of my life that is demonstrating the claims that I'm making about who Christ is? If Doritos and Tostitos can do this with selling chips, we ought to be able to do this with our life. It's a far greater resource than chips. And so that's what he's calling upon us to do. Examine our life and say, what value is being produced by my life? What works demonstrate my claims to Christ? And in an active faith, an active faith is alive and well. What profit is it? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Finally, James comes out and tells us what he's thinking. doesn't use questions anymore. He just tells us what he's thinking. So genuine faith will demonstrate itself through works. And so the question that you and I must ask ourselves is, how have your actions, how have my actions demonstrated themselves this week? And if we look back at last week and we say, you know, in my, in my marriage, my actions failed to demonstrate the truth of the gospel claims that I make, well, we need to seek to rectify that. If we look at our relationship with our employer and we say, there's problems in this area, then we need to seek to rectify that. If we look and see our, our pursuits of recreation, whether it be movies or books that we read or other avenues towards entertainment, we say, those are not in alignment with my claims to Christ, so we need to rectify that. This is a call for all areas of our life to submit themselves to the truth of the gospel. Your claim to faith in Jesus Christ should lead to works of righteousness and obedience in all areas of your life. Yes, to your care for the needs of people, but James's thoughts are far broader than that. That's just one application. He's going to move on from here, and he's going to say, this dualism idea doesn't work. What's happening in, in his context is that some people are looking at his argument, they're hearing, he's hearing this come back to him. Remember, James's church has happened. Um, this is what has happened to James's church. James was a pastor at the Jerusalem church, and there's been trials that have come into the church, and as a result of the trials, some of his church have moved. But he still has a pastor's heart for them. He still loves them. You see that often in his language that he uses. Brothers, beloved brethren, brothers and sisters. This is very loving language that he uses for these people. And as he's hearing reports coming back from people who are traveling and stuff, people are saying, well, you know, I'm a person who has faith. When somebody comes up to me and they tell me about a problem, I just say, yeah, I believe God. God's going to take care of it. God's got this. And they they never demonstrate their faith by doing anything that's in alignment with the scriptures. And then there's other people that are like, no, I don't need faith. Look at my life. Look at all the good things I do for this community. 
This is dualism. And James is saying this doesn't work. This doesn't make any sense. And so he says that some have proposed faith and works are two viable options. And what he's saying is, no, they're not. And as he tells them no in verse 18, this is actually the only command that he gives them. In verse 18, he says, show me your faith without your works. And the implied response is, you can't do it. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. So works that are the only means of displaying our faith. He goes on and in verse 19, he, he illustrates this and he says, you guys have heard about the demons. The demons know who God is. They believe some of the basic principles of our faith that you believe. They know who Jesus Christ is. Congratulations. They also believe and they are terrified of the day of judgment. Why? Because there's no works to back up their belief. Their belief will not save them from the day of judgment. They are terrified of the day of judgment. It really, I think, is answering that first, that second question he asks in James chapter 2, verse 14, right? Can faith save him? Does the faith of the demons save them from the day of judgment? Absolutely not. They know who God is. They believe it. But they tremble as they realize the, the truthfulness of who God is. And so James is calling upon us to look at who God is, to accept the truth of it, but to live it out. He says this dualism, this idea that we can do both things, that one group of people in the church can be believers who simply tell everybody, just believe God. And we can have another group of people in the church that are the people who actually do work within the church, who are serving other people, who are ministering, who are caring for the needs of other people, says that's a dualism that has no part in God's plan. says if you want a real illustration, a real illustration of how faith and works work together, look at Abraham. Look at Rahab. These people illustrate what true faith looks like. True faith works there's no works that back up the faith. You need to examine your life because maybe you're like the demons who believe and tremble. And so in verse 20, he begins to introduce us to Abraham. The idea really is to listen to the wisdom of Scripture and understand but do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Because if you really want to know, I'll explain it to you. If you don't want to know, that's okay. It's still true, though. But if you really want to know, if you want to learn, if you want to apply wisdom, here is wisdom, here is here's truth. Apply it. And then he moves in to talk about Abraham. And he says, Abraham's faith led to action. 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? He believed God's promises. Abraham did, right? What did he believe about God? What did he know about God's character? He knew that God was faithful. Right? He had seen God's faithfulness. God had made him a promise that God would take him out of the land that he was in, bring him to a new land, give him a son. And think about when this is happening. What has Abraham seen about the character of God when he chooses to willingly go and offer Isaac his son on the altar? He has waited until his wife is way past the age of bearing children. He has tried his own plans a couple of different times. It's like, I'll adopt Lot. God's like, no, I don't want Lot. Send Lot away. I'll take the Egyptian and I'll have a child by her. And God says, no, I, I'm faithful. I will do what I promised to you. You don't need Hagar. I've got my servant. What about my servants? Can I allow my servants to take your promises? And God's like, no, I'm, I'm faithful. I'll do what I've promised. I will give you a son. God finally gives him a son. Son's beginning to grow up. God comes and tells him, Abraham, you know your son that I promised you? Take that son and go and offer him as a, as a burnt offering to me. To demonstrate your love to me. Abraham goes, okay. And he takes his son and he offers him. What is he doing? His faith in God leads to actions. Why? He knows the character of God. He knows that God has promised this son. And if this son dies, he knows that God can resurrect this son and still fulfill his promises. His faith, his knowledge of God's character leads to actions. And that is what James is highlighting. Faith leads to action. And so he introduces this idea, I believe, in verse 21. He says, faith leads to actions. Um, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Faith is perfected or it's completed through our works. It's a continual process. It's not something that you do obedience, you obey God for, you know, a few years, and then you can take the gas off and just kind of coast. My dad used to do that. I don't know about you guys, but um, I remember when we were in Ghana, um, we had a manual vehicle, and we had times that were really tough, so my dad would, like, drive up to the top of the hill, and then he'd, like, um, turn off the engine and he put it in neutral I think it was and just coast down the hill and then he'd get about halfway up the next hill and he'd turn on the engine drive up. <laughs> Took a long time to get anywhere, right? But the idea is you can't just coast, right? Because the, the works going on and on and on finally lead to you being perfected. The faith is made sight. That's the idea that he's seeking to communicate. And so it's ongoing. And as Abraham goes through his life, what happens? He sees God take Abraham, and the story ends by what? 
He's ready to stab the knife into his son. And God says, stop. I know that you believe me. You are obedient to me. Look behind you. There is a ram. Sacrifice the ram. Right? But as he continues to live, he sees Isaac married. And God is continuing to fulfill his promises. His faith is being perfected as he lives in obedience. And the scripture is fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Why was he called the friend of God? He's called the friend of God because he had faith that works. Our basic need is righteousness. And it's attained through faith. Getting to zero, getting your sins simply atoned for, will not take you to heaven. You need to be righteous before God. And on your own, you will never be righteous. You never could be righteous. But God can declare you righteous based on your faith. And your faith demonstrates itself. We look at your faith and we go, that is real. Why? Because there's works that are demonstrating it. And if you want to be the friend of God, then it's going to call upon you to trust him and live in obedience, to obey him, to work out those truths. In the multiple areas of your life, unfortunately, the text doesn't just say, you know, if, if you just care for the needy people, like I illustrated at the beginning of the text, that's all you're required to do. That'd be easy, right? If I could just write a check for a couple hundred dollars every month to an organization that takes care of poor people and not interact with poor people and treat my family however I wanted to treat them and speed through town rec recklessly. I mean, that'd be easy, right? That's not what he's calling us to. That's one way that it illustrates itself. That's not, he's that's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to obedience in every area of our life to demonstrate the gospel is true. Through your own works, though, you will never attain God's righteous declaration. It requires faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and His completed works on your behalf. And so he says, our, our basic need is righteousness, and that's only thing we've got. You can be God's friend as you live faithfully and as you work out that faith. He moves on from there, though. He begins, he, he begins, and he tells us about the patriarch of Israel. The first person after the flood, they were like, wow, this person, like, you know, they got it. They understood who God was, and they chose to live in faith and obedience. This is the first story of, of substance that we have after the flood. God has just judged everybody. He's like, y'all are sinners, and I regret that I've made you. And then Abraham pops up. And God chooses to make a special relationship with him. Why? Because he's his friend. And but, but lest you think that this is now just reserved for, you know, people who are related to Abraham. He moves on and he says, what I'm talking about here, this faith plus works that, 
that leads you to being declared righteous by God. It's available for all people everywhere who are willing to place their trust in Jesus Christ and live it out in a dynamic way. And so he says, look at Rahab. There's a man and a woman. This has happened for both of them. But here is Rahab. Who is Rahab? Uh, Rahab is one of the people that Deuteronomy chapter 7 says to annihilate. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, don't marry those people. And yet Matthew tells us that Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Whoa. Our text tells us that Rahab was a prostitute. But our text also tells us that Rahab believed God. She knew who God was, and she demonstrated it by her works. And that is what James is calling you and I to do. To believe God and to demonstrate it through our works. In every area, every facet of our life. Look at verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot or the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? All people, all backgrounds are welcome to come. He concludes now with this. Rahab demonstrated her faith through works and don't have dead faith. He concludes. He's not asking questions anymore. He's just simply telling you this is the case. The body without the spirit is dead. Right? So Faith without works is dead also. He's calling us to a living, dynamic faith. One that demonstrates itself in our homes, with our neighbors, at our workplaces, in our recreation, in every area of our life. Our lives are lived to demonstrate the truthfulness, the veracity of the message of Jesus Christ. That's what you're called to. That's it. I mean, that's it, yes, but I mean, it's, it's not quite that easy, is it? It's like I said, it'd be a lot easier if he was just saying, you know, cut a check to an organization that cares for poor people and then do whatever you want the rest of your life. That'd be easy. But that's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to work in the nitty-gritty, the difficultness of our relationships where where your desires and the desires of those you're in relationship with conflict. You have to work through that. And as you work through that, you live out your faith in such a way that you give up your desires for the sake of others. Your faith is working. And so as we, as we conclude, I think that there are a couple ideas that the text points us to and from there, we can then draw some conclusions or seek to make some application. Faith apart from works is useless. Chapter 2, verse 14, and then chapter 2, verse 16, I believe, point us to this. What does it profit? What does it profit? Ask that question two times. And the point is, it doesn't profit. Professing faith without works 
is useless. Secondly, your life is to produce good or it's to produce profit. Tostitos does this with how they package chips. We must do this with how we live our life. Fortunately, you only have one person to manage instead of like figuring out the preferences of 300 million people and how to package chips for them. Right? But your emotions are in ways a lot more difficult to work through and process than figuring out whether people like, you know, Cool Ranch or Spicy Nacho. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. What good is your life producing? And if you look at your life and you say, my life isn't producing good, are you like the demons who believe and shudder at what they face? And then finally, the character of God should lead to action. Abraham knew who God was. And because of who he knew God was, he knew that God was faithful. He knew that God had promised. He knew that God could resurrect his son if he did die. He was willing to act upon his faith. As we read Joshua chapter 2, you see the same thing. Rahab talks to the spies and she's like, we know who your God is. I know who your God is. We're all afraid. But instead of just trembling like the demons do, I'm going to do something. I'm going to hide you on my roof. And I'm going to give you special guidance on how to escape being captured. Her faith, her knowledge of God's character leads to concrete, demonstrable action. It's interesting, neither of these illustrations are primarily about caring for needy, poor people, are they? The illustrations really branch out into all of life. Why? Because the call to faith that works is a call to all areas, all aspects, all facets of your life and my life. And so how do, we, how do we practically go about doing this? I think one of the things that we first must do is we must be willing to examine our life. And it's not easy, right? Because we're not called to just one area of our life to examine and say, does my life demonstrate works in this area? No, it's a call to all areas of your life. Think of how many relationships you and I have. It's kind of tiring just to think about that. And then we're supposed to examine each of those relationships to say, how is God using me in those relationships to demonstrate works that point to the glory of the Son? And as we examine ourselves, as we examine our hearts, as we examine our actions, our motives, we're called upon to repent, we're called upon to pursue obedience. We look at the character of God, and the character of God as we, as we experience his faithfulness, as we experience his love, as we experience holiness as we experience his purity calls upon you and I to live out our life in works that demonstrate who our God is. And so I ask you once again, what good works is God calling you to pursue this week? Not just in your relationship to poor people, though that is a relationship that you have, but in all areas of your life. How is God calling you to live out your faith in a dynamic, real way?
so that the watching world looks on and goes, there is something winsome, there is something different, unique about this that points me to their faith. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you have called us to faith, that you have provided us with your son who has died and paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be reconciled to you, so that we can enjoy the hope of eternal life with you. But God, we're easily distracted by the cares of this world. We're easily easily distracted by the knowledge of theology and we fail to live it out. We pray that as we contemplate your character, who you are, your truthfulness, that we would have a desire to live in response to that and produce works that demonstrate our union with you in the multiple areas of our life. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. In your name we pray. Amen.